Lord Jesus, we thank you for the younger people in our fellowship. We thank you for the life that's in them. Thank you for the opportunity they have in life to know you and to move forward in their faith, Lord Jesus. We pray you'll be with them now and encourage them and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. Um, I'm going to speak for a while, but also a couple of other people are going to share. And first off, our son Steve, he got back from five and a half weeks in China. So I think it'd be good to hear a bit about what he was doing. So if you want to come up and do that now, that would be awesome. Um, hello, everybody. It's good to be back. Um, and this is the first year which I'm not going to be going back to Essex after this week. So I am going to be moving back to London. Uh, next Sunday, I'll be moving to Deptford uh, for housing. So if you could pray that that will go really well, that would be great. Um, yeah, so this trip was really good. I'm getting to a good point in my language now. Well, I'd hope after five trips I would be. Um, so my last week, I had a friend of mine called John came over for, my, for the last few days I was there. So I was translating for him a little bit, and I managed to translate a bunch of different phrases. I managed to translate the phrase, um, I'm so embarrassed, I want the earth to swallow me up, which I'm not going to do now, because there's actually people that can speak Chinese here. Um, no, maybe later, if you want to know. Um, but yeah, so it was just a really great trip. We had uh, one guy that we helped off, which was great. I'm going to refer to him as William. Uh, Heroin. So one of the ministries, obviously, you guys hopefully will know that Paul and Lucy have been doing for years in China is um, taking people off of heroin. And uh, yeah, I just, it's one of the most beautiful things to see. Uh, one of my friends, Dave, that's normally out there says it's, it's the most gentle miracle, but it's quite a beautiful thing to watch. I've seen it once when, so mainly what we do is we just pray in tongues. We take them off cold turkey. We use no other drugs. Um, I don't want to debate it now, um, getting people off drugs. I don't think you should take, get drugs to take people off drugs. Um, but fundamentally, this, you just saw this guy fall in love with Jesus. Most of them are from Buddhist backgrounds originally, and they just see this power of the Holy Spirit just come in and stop the withdrawal symptoms, stop the sweating, stop the throwing up, and God just moves. And you just get to this point where it's day seven or something of withdrawal, and they just go, okay. I know Jesus is real. I don't know how he's real. I don't know, really know where he comes from, but I know he's real. And um, for us, it's just such an encouraging thing to see. And the other great thing we've had over the um, past few months is there's been loads of young people uh, that have come into the second stage. Uh, guys that haven't been addicts, but have just kind of have come from um, different backgrounds that have um, been hard. And so we've just been with them, spent time with them, you know, worshipped with them and prayed with them. Uh, one kind of great story was um, uh, on my first date, I'd been there for three days. And the youth worker had like, just had a baby a few weeks beforehand. And he said to me, well, he said to one of the youth, okay, can Stevie lead the youth work? I need to spend some time with my little boy. So I kind of rock up the youth group expecting there to be another youth worker there to do all the kind of, you know, speaking bit. So I ended up having to like take on nine crazy young people and lead worship with them and try and speak some sort of Chinese with them. Uh, but that was really great. Um, and it's just been great. I've done a lot of guitar teaching and I, a lot of the stuff I do spend time there is just training up worship leaders to the best of my ability, uh, language-wise. 
And it's been great this year to see real development musically. Um, there's been such great input from Hong Kong into the guys um, in the mainland. And there's been, yeah, it's just been a really fantastic time. And I, I can't wait to continue kind of learning and uh, pursuing kind of the passion I have for that country. And yeah, so there's plenty of other stories, but those are probably some of the, the best ones. Probably one more thing is um, halfway through my week, I went to another city um, for a week. And so I went to this friend's, one of our friends in, so you guys, some of you might know Benjamin, who came here a few years ago. I went to see one of his friends in this other city. And so I kind of rock up to this guy's house in this other city, and I'm wearing kind of my, um, my two-pound shorts that I bought in mainland, and, um, and kind of one-pound T-shirt. And this guy was probably a multi-millionaire in China. And so it was like, he kind of took me into his house, a three-story um, flat garden, kind of fancy antiques and all that kind of stuff. And he said, oh, how do you want to help us for the next week? And I was like, I play music. So I played some music stuff for him. So then he said, well, I've got some friends over the other side of town that you can help. So I was staying with a stranger's friend uh, for a week. But I ended up teaching a bunch of these um, 20-year-olds just how to you know, play guitar and drums and all that. And it's just great to see how you know, the kingdom of God is going everywhere. This church that we're spending time with, they basically converted its old, ho- old hotel um, building uh, into, a, into a church. So it, the great thing about it was the place I was in was like 35, 37 degrees and humid, but my room had personal air conditioning, which was a gift from God. Um, but yeah, it was just a great time. And I also got to see pandas, which has been a dream for like three years now. Um, so that was great. And yeah, God's just doing really great stuff. And it's just keep praying uh, for stuff. You know, it's great to see how much mature um, this. I mean, this is the five, fifth time I've gone. So over a period of four years. So to really see what God has changed in these people and the maturity. I remember talking to Paul in 2013. And he said, how on earth are me and Lucy going to leave this place? Because it's such a mess at the moment, the leadership. But at the moment, you know, end of the day, everything is growing. And there is such amazing development in different people. And it, it's all to do with prayer. End of the day, these addicts are coming off by the power of tongues. I mean, that doesn't, that's just not natural. And it's pursuing the supernatural and seeing what God can do. And actually, God can do that here. He's interested in everything we're doing. China is not a supernatural place. Everywhere is supernatural, and we all have the potential to see God do the crazy stuff. So, yeah, it's been a great trip, and I'm really happy to be back and with you guys again. Um, I wanted to call what I'm saying a tale of three cities, and I'm going to start off with one of them, and then the main part of the second one, someone else very special is going to uh, share that session. But um, our vision is to have a healthy and growing church, uh, as I'm sure you've heard over the last few weeks, and uh, Dara was sharing recently, and we have a Sam's Triangle, don't we, Paul? And to be healthy and growing as a church and as an individual Christian, we need to have an up, and that's connecting with God. We need to have an in, and that's sharing fellowship with one another, and we need to have an out, reaching out. And Stevie gave us a bit of a flavor of going on an adventure with God and reaching out. We need those three things. And I've thought of it in terms of three cities, 
from the Bible, not physical places, but uh, three cities. And the, the up uh, is around the term the city of the living God that I want to share about. The in is around the term the city of refuge. And finally, the out is around the city set on a hill. So let's look at those briefly together. I think if you put the first one, next one up, Paul, the first and most important thing is meeting with God himself, isn't it? And uh, slightly unfortunately, Isaac gave God a kind of 7 out of 10, didn't he? But uh, God should be given 20 out of 10. Meeting with God, knowing God, being in God's presence is what it's all about. It is the most important thing. It's not about me. It's not about my talents, my abilities, what suits me. It's not just what we can do in the flesh. It's us being together with God, meeting with God, knowing God, loving God, and being loved by him. And when I was thinking of cities to kind of picture the three aspects of up, in, and out, the term that really leapt out of me was from Hebrews, and it's that term, city of the living God. We're just going to explore it for a few minutes. And if you put the next slide up, uh, let's, let's actually read this passage from Hebrews together. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance. Well, great. Sorry, that was covered up. I don't know why the machine does that with the, the last lines. That's an amazing passage in Hebrews. And the writer in Hebrews is doing a, a contrast between the Old Testament and the New, between the Old Covenant and the New. And in the Old Covenant, there was a connection with God. The Israelites were the people of God. But there's a really stark contrast, isn't there? In the Old Covenant, they come to a physical mountain, uh, a place. They're frightened to hear God's voice. There's fear and trembling. There's a, an awareness of God's holiness which is great, but most people couldn't approach God. They were scared to go on the mountain. God's holiness was a, a barrier to them. And the contrast is in the New Testament. You don't come to physical Mount Zion. But as we gather together, wherever that is, wherever two or three gather together, the Lord Jesus is there. Wherever we gather together, we connect spiritually. We don't have to go through the, the processes of the temple or the, appearance, the fearful appearance of God on the mountain there. We connect spiritually, 
And there's a real richness in that section. We've come to, together where there are thousands of angels in the heavenly Jerusalem. We can, whether you see them or not, so I think most of the time we don't. I believe there are angels here when we meet together. It says we come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. And if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, you belong to him, you're a child of God. Your name's written in heaven and we celebrate that together. We've come to God himself who is the judge over all things. And there's a joy in our worship and fellowship but there should be a real reverence and awe of God and we can actually know him we can be in his presence we can hear his voice and that's really really wonderful we've come to God the judge over all things you come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven have now been made perfect and the church isn't just your local gathering isn't even the church worldwide it's the angels it's God himself and all those that have gone before and are in the heavenly places with Christ, alive in Christ, even though they've finished their walk on earth. And we join them as we worship together. And we've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and the sprinkled blood that now speaks of forgiveness. And we celebrated that in communion, didn't we? The blood of Jesus shed for us to forgive us, and the bread that uh, shows that we're part of his family, part of his body. And one of the cities I want us to be in the, in the up is people that as we gather, we connect with God, God moves among us, and we know his presence together. Right up, please, Paul. In Exodus 33, Moses is praying to God, and he says this, If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And the presence of God is so precious, isn't it? And Moses said, what else is going to distinguish us? If it's just us, if it's just what we're like, if it's just us in our flesh, what? difference will that be what difference will that make what will that do to the world but if God is with us then all things are possible it's possible for people that have been on heroin for 10 years to get free in a week all things are possible if God goes with us if his presence is with us and that's what we cover and that's what we need that's what distinguishes us and we need to know God's presence together as we gather. We need to reverence him. We need to worship him and trust that he will meet with us. Sometimes we don't feel it. And there's probably quite a few gatherings in the name of Jesus call themselves church. And they're really dead gatherings. But those of us that are alive in Christ, who gather together, who honor God, then it's wonderful to know and experience his presence with us.
I remember um, a weekend away I did with some students many years ago, and it was pretty dire. Most of the, the weekend didn't go very well. Nothing much was happening. But in the very last session of the weekend, God showed up. And he just came into the room with his presence. And people were suddenly engaging with God. They were set free to worship him. God was touching people's hearts deeply and dealing with hurts and wounds in their lives. And I remember there's two men there, two young men there, who weren't Christians. And one of them was overcome with the presence of God. And he burst out crying and then later he gave his life to the Lord. And the other one wasn't ready to know Jesus. But the presence of God was there so powerfully. He couldn't stay in the room. He had to walk away. And it's amazing how God comes. And it's a wonderful thing. It's obviously a challenging thing in our lives. And someone that didn't want Jesus had to walk out of the room because God was there. But I want us to be a city of the living God where we come to God where we're together with the saints, where we know Jesus, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'd like a few people to stand now, and uh, I'm going to pray. And if you have helped in the bands musically, singing or playing an instrument, or led worship for us, I'd like you to stand. Please, that would be wonderful. Knowing the presence of God is so helped when we're led in worship. The two qualifications in the Bible are some skill and Holy Spirit anointing. And I want to thank God for those people that help us in that way. I just want to pray for you guys now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can meet with you in worship. We can be a city of the living God. And Lord, I thank you for these friends that give their time and energies their musical abilities and their relationship with you to help us and bless us and lead us in worship of you. Lord, I pray that you'll take them deeper with you. I pray that you'll bless them and make them an even greater blessing to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'll let you guys to stay standing, if that's all right, for a minute. And we meet God through the preaching of the word. If you've ever preached in this church, I'd like you to stand up now alongside these folk. If you've ever preached up the front here, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that you set us free. You encourage us. You challenge us. You speak life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your words are spirit and life. And Lord, we pray that the preached word at this church will contain Holy Spirit life and power. And that through the preaching of your word, Holy Spirit, you will transform people's lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Stay standing. And we meet God through people giving prophetic words and sharing prayers at church. If you've ever come up and given a word from God or prayed out a prayer in church, I'd like you to stand as well, please, and join the people already on their feet. That's wonderful. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. 
We thank you for your words in the Bible, and we thank you for when you come through with something fresh that's in line with your biblical revelation, but it's a now word. It's a a word of prophecy to bring comfort, encouragement, and to build us up in our faith and knowledge of you. Lord, we thank you for those words and say, Lord, we want you to speak through us, and we want you to we want to have the ears to hear what you're saying to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And if you're here today and you've engaged with the service in any way, I'd like you to stand up as well. <laughs> It's all of us, isn't it? It's all of us. I was thinking, what, what makes a difference to a gathering being a city of the living God? And for me, I think there were three things that came to mind. One was my presence. I need to be there. And my presence makes a difference. Not just because I do stuff up at the front, but if I was at the back every week, my presence would make a difference. Being there, being part of his body, being one of those stones that he's building into a living temple, it does make a difference just to be there. My presence, my prayers are important. And it's easy to be so busy with life. Um, but if I've got time to pray, Lord, I want to meet you together with my brothers and sisters in our gathering, then my prayers will make a difference to the meeting. And that that Weekend away that I told you about a little bit earlier on. I spent a lot of time praying about that, more than I usually do. And God really broke through, and our prayers make a huge difference. So it's my presence, my prayers, and my participation. And it doesn't, I don't have to be at the front. I don't have to be someone that's musical. I don't have to be singing anything. But in my heart, I'm engaging with what's going on. Even if no one hears my voice publicly, if I'm engaging in what's going on, it makes a difference to us being a city of the living God. If I'm on Facebook, if I'm looking at my emails, if I'm looking at the cricket scores, I think that's not playing my part in seeing what God can do. But if I'm engaging in any way, it's really powerfully building the city of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we're all included whether we've got uh, fantastic musical gifts or speaking gifts or whatever, we're all included. We're all vital parts of your body. We've all got a part to play. And Lord, thank you that some of the people that seem less upfront publicly are the people that are most precious to you and most powerful in your kingdom. Thank you that you appreciate and know and love all of us. And we love to be together with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do sit down. And we might as well enjoy being a city of the living God because that's our destiny. Our destiny is to be part of God's wonderful future. I just read this very quickly. Revelation 19 and then 21. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. 
And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their gods. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And as we grow in being a city of the living God, as we experience God's presence, we're moving towards the great future where God is fully dwelling in the midst. And the old order is done and the new age has begun. So that's one city, the up being a city of the living God. The in is being a city of refuge. If you put the next slide up, Paul. And uh, it's a, a term you may have heard me say a few times, and it comes from the Old Testament. Um, but probably a number of us say, what on earth was that? What is that? How does that work? And why is it relevant now? I just want to briefly talk about that, and uh, then we'll move on. Uh, the main passage is in Numbers 35. You can also read in Joshua 21 and 1 Chronicles 6. Now, there were Levites, and they worked in the temple. They supported the priests in the ministry in the temple. And they were given 48 cities around the nation. So they had somewhere to live, and they could uh, grow some crops and eat. And six of those cities were designated as cities of refuge. So what was that all about? Well, if there was an accidental death and you were involved in it, um, maybe you were working together with someone and the, the axe head flew off your axe and hit them in the head and they died. It wasn't intentional, but you were alongside someone who's died. That's a very serious thing. And what would happen is the dead man's family would immediately jump to the conclusion that you had murdered him. And so if you're a murderer, you're in trouble. And the avenger of blood from the family would want to come out and kill you in revenge. But, yeah, what were you going to do? What was going to happen in those kind of situations? And it would be unfair, obviously, to just see innocent people suffer. Uh, the nation had the death penalty if it was premeditated murder, and taking life is a serious matter. But if it was an accident, what can you do when you're under suspicion? So what would happen is you could run to one of these cities of refuge. And when you got there, you were given somewhere to stay. They'd take you in. You would get a fair trial. And it's interesting, it wasn't just for the children of Israel. It was for foreigners, for refugees, for slaves. Everyone was entitled to a, a fair trial. A team of elders would adjudicate on the case and they'd require witnesses to, to find you guilty. There had to be at least two witnesses. If you were innocent, you get the right to stay in the city of refuge for your protection. And then when the high priest died, it was considered like a new start and it was safe for you to leave and you could leave and go back home and have a fresh start. So a city of refuge was a really good thing, wasn't it? A really good thing in society. How does that relate to us as a church? Obviously the laws changed and we don't have those laws here. But that term has come up a number of times over the years about something of the nature of this church. 
and in my sabbatical, in readings and places I went, in prayers and prophecies, that term uh, came up again. And it gives a flavor, not that we follow that procedure legally, but that when people are in crisis, when people are troubled, when people are going through difficult times, they want to find somewhere where there'll be justice, where there'll be a welcome, where they'll be given a good hearing, where they receive love, they receive support emotionally, spiritually, and practically. And over time, they can find healing and be in a better place with the Lord. And then maybe they'll be moved on to the next place. And it's a precious thing to be a city of refuge in that kind of way, a safe place, a place of welcoming, a place of care, a place of prayer, a place of support spiritually, emotionally, practically. And I want us to be, to continue to be somewhere like that. And I can think of people over the years that we've stood with. Uh, Steve, who was here for a few years, uh, Steve Latham, I think really benefited from his time. He'd been a pastor for many years and given out to other people. Then he arrived here when he was lecturing at a local college. And when I went to see him with Sam, he said, is this my first pastoral visit? <laughs> he was on the receiving end. But things went, didn't go that well at the college. He had lots of health problems. Uh, but he, by spending time here, I believe he's found health and healing and he's back in pastoral ministry and doing a great job in King's Cross. And we were a kind of community that helped to support him and his family and help him at that time. I was thinking of Maria as well. Some of you know her from Bolivia and uh, the family don't come that often on Sundays, but uh, we were praying as a church, and there was a point many, many years ago, she'd come over here with her husband, the husband had died, she had four kids, and the authorities uh, said that she needed to go back to Bolivia, they were going to deport her, and uh, she was trying to ring a lawyer, and they took her to Heathrow, and they told her that the kids were already on the plane, and they were going to put her on the plane and fly her back to Bolivia. And she was on the phone to a lawyer. And as she was walking to the plane, she got the call from the lawyer saying that she wasn't, it wasn't right to deport her. She could stay in the country. And when she got back to the terminal, she found that they'd lied to her and her kids weren't on the plane. They were back at home and she was about to be deported. But she was saved from that situation. And she's really appreciated the fellowship and the prayers in this church. There's story after story we could tell, but I'd love us to continue to be a city of refuge. And it's not down to one person. It's not just Jenny helping everyone in need. All of us together. Uh, we need us to stand together. And when we're in a good place, we've got the resources and the energy to help people that are struggling. And together, we can be a wonderful city of refuge. Uh, to illustrate that, what I'd like to do now is to hand over to a very special person, it's Jenny Thomas, and she's going to, in this last part of our meeting, tell us about her recent story, and uh, it tracks back for, for me to uh, June the 17th, and I was in the office at Here for Good and got a call from Glenn, uh, her husband, and uh, he said he had a call from the hospital, and Jenny, Jenny had been taken ill 
and was gone to intensive care. And so things kick in after that, and Jenny can tell us. Lovely, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, the last time I stood up here leading was back in June, early June. I'd just come back from a fantastic holiday in Jamaica with Glenn. I had finally seen his homeland. It's the first time I'd ever been. It was fantastic. Unfortunately, just after that, I started to feel unwell. And initially, I was just really, really irritated by it, thinking, I've just come back, just getting back into work, and I'm feeling ill. By the Monday night, I had a very high fever. I had a terrible night, lots of sickness with, as I say, a very high fever. By the Tuesday, what concerned me was I was also, as well as the fever and the sickness, I was getting severe pains in my legs and I was finding it very hard to walk. And that surprised me. And I started to think, hang on a moment, I'm only just about a week back from Jamaica. Have I come back with something more than I wanted to come back with? Um, I called my GP. They couldn't see me until nearer the end of the week. And so I was happy just to stay in my bed where it was comfortable and stay still and recover. But a friend of mine said, no way. She said, call Glenn, go to A&E and go to King's, King's College Hospital. Absolutely insistent that we went there. And I'm like, no way. You know, it was hard enough to get from the bed to the bathroom, let alone go to, out of the house to A&E. But we did. And we got to A&E on the Wednesday night, and as Glenn said, it was one of the, you know, we saw the worst of the NHS. A&E on a Wednesday night was not good. It took hours. We had an awful night. But the long and the short of it is that on the Thursday morning, um, I was still being observed. They were going to discharge me Thursday mid-morning. And then suddenly somebody made the decision made the decision to keep me in. Um, so somebody looked at my notes, saw I was returning from the Caribbean, decided, let's keep her in for observations. And I remember on the Thursday evening, Glenn, my daughter Lois, and my two friends, Penny and Gareth, came to visit. And I was in a side room in a ward because they didn't know what I had. Um, and we joked and we laughed, especially when I tried to walk because it was really, really difficult. And I was okay. I didn't feel too bad. Now, I don't have much memory of what happened that night. Um, but looking, I, I got my medical notes from the hospital and looking at the notes, I can see that through that night, that Thursday night, my heart rate and my temperature continued to get higher and higher. By about six in the morning, already on the notes, they're suspecting sepsis. I don't have any memory of that. What I do remember, just after eight o'clock in the morning, I suddenly realized I was in serious trouble. I knew there was something seriously wrong going on in my body, and I needed help. So I called the nurse, who took one look at me. She called the crash team. 
I don't have much memory of what went on after that. I remember sitting in the bed watching the group of doctors thinking, will you please get a move on? I'm not sure, you know, I'm not going to last much longer. Um, and apparently I did actually say to them, will you get a move on? <laughs> um, so I was obviously worried. They sedated me because it was the easiest way to treat me. And they were treating me in that side ward for a good couple of hours. And it was at, during that time that Glenn got the call from the ward sister saying, your wife's taken a turn for the worse. She's going to be admitted to intensive care. By the time I got to intensive care, my heart rate was 300 beats a minute. And for those of you who know, the normal one is 60 to 100. If, if your heart is beating at 300 beats a minute, it's not doing anything. Our hearts are amazing pumps in our body. They pump the blood around our body. My heart was just going, and it wasn't actually doing anything. That meant my blood pressure had gone right down. All my internal organs stopped functioning. And that's why I had a whole team of people working on me. I don't know how long it was before they actually took me to ICU, but before they did, Sheila here, she came to see me because she'd known from the Thursday night I was in hospital. She came to see if she could support me. Maybe I wanted a nice cup of coffee. She wanted to be there to help me. And dear Sheila, when she saw me and saw how critical I was, it was a huge shock for her because she never expected to find me in such a critical state. So what did she do? She did what we can all do. We called a friend. Sheila called Nigel. Sheila called Bev. Bev prayed for her over the phone so that she would be able to be there because she was right at King's with me. She was on site. Nigel made his way to King's. And I am so grateful because Sheila and Nigel were there before Lois got there. So that when Lois, my 22-year-old daughter, who's just heard her mum's critically ill, she wasn't alone when she arrived at the hospital. She had friends there. She had church family there to be with her. And I know that it was a long wait before they could see me. Um, but I wanted to read to you from the consultant's notes because the consultant met with them. So there was Nigel and Sheila. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glenn, his sister, as well as Lois. My son was abroad on tour. So Lois had had the job of phoning her brother to say, you better come home, mum's not well. Anyway, the consultant, in her notes, she explained that I was very unwell. She explained about my high heart rate. She explained that I was on maximum support. And in her notes, her handwritten notes, what she says here is, we're doing up the best we can, but the likely outcome is death. This is what the medics thought. They did not expect me to survive. 
I was on a Ventolin. Uh, I mean a ventilator, not Ventolin, a ventilator. I was on dialysis. I had all sorts of drugs being pumped into me. I was getting the best of the NHS. I was getting the best possible care. But what had happened when Glenn made the call, because he received the call from the hospital, he then called others and he said, pray. So whilst I was getting the best medical care, I also had, I don't know how many hundreds of people praying for me, you lot included. People stopped what they were doing and prayed. I, my friend's husband actually got woken up on Friday morning before any of this kicked off, and he knew he had to pray for my life. This is God at work, isn't it? And we're very fortunate. We've got quite a large family, many of whom are Christians. So they all got their churches praying. But the most important thing is that we're, we're part of God's family. And all of us are part of God's family. And as part of that family, I received goodness knows how much prayer. And I am so very, very grateful for that. Um, and I just want to encourage you that you all played your part. You all played your part. I have, I can only imagine what you all went through. I can only imagine what my family went through. I, I was sleeping, <laughs> you know, I was out of it. And as a lot of you have been telling me, you know, as far as you saw, I was in God's care. God was just holding me in that place. But I was unconscious for six days. Um, they took me off the sedation, I think, after three or four days. And it still took me a couple of days to wake up. I obviously wasn't in a hurry to wake up. Um, and that was a scary time, too, because how was I going to wake up? A lot of people who get sepsis never survive. A lot of those that do survive end up with life-changing disabilities. I haven't got life-changing disabilities. I am whole. I don't know how many of you remember that in January, I, my last preach, it was all about us being body together. And, I, and we were looking at the passage that encourages us to keep on meeting, that we need each other. And obviously, I never realized how much I would be needing all of you uh, in such an amazing way. Um, there's a lot more I could say, but I'm also conscious of time. But basically, we, all of us, I don't know the impact that this has had. But I know that what I've been through, but the way that I have recovered has impacted many, many, many people. The doctor who wrote that she thought I was probably going to die, she was then off for the next week. By the time she came back the week later, she walked into my room 
And she looked at me and she stared at me. I'm just sitting there in bed chatting away and she's staring and I didn't know who she was. And she came over and she said to me, you don't know me, but I'm the consultant that received you when you first came into A&E. And she said, I cannot believe that you are the same person. It was a week later, I was sitting up in bed talking. I had some fun times after waking up because obviously they'd pumped me with all sorts of drugs and so there was an awful lot of things I couldn't do. I saw things flying through the sky. I don't think it was a vision from God. It was just pure hallucinations. I, I saw clumps of purple hair and I was saying to my children, do you see that? And they're, Mum, there's nothing there. And I said, but it's there, look, look, look. And they said, no, Mum, there's nothing there. You know, I, you know, on hospital beds, they've got the buttons that you press to elevate your bed, put it down. It took me three days before I had the strength and the coordination to be able to press those buttons. That's how weak I had become. Um, there was a time when I thought I could... Uh, helped myself to a drink and I missed my mouth and it all went down me. I know for many of you, you came and you saw me when I was sleeping and I know many of you spent a long time praying for me. Whether you came to the hospital or not, you spent time praying for me. And I, I can't express in words how grateful I am for that because I think it would be a very different outcome if I wasn't part of the body of Christ. Um, let me just have a quick look, just see if there's... Yeah, just thinking about the... Yeah, people have asked me, did I see anything? Did I have a revelation from God? Did I meet with him? I have no conscious memory of meeting with him. I didn't see any bright white lights. But do you know what? Since waking up, I see him. I hear from him. And when I say I see him, I see him around us. We look at one another. We, see, we are the reflection of God. So yes, I do see him. Not when I was asleep. I see him now in all of you. I hear him. And we often learn a lot more, don't we, in retrospect. And when I look back and I think, my friend insisted I went to any. Why did she insist? She doesn't know, but she did. Why did we respond? We did, because she said so. Um, the fact that God gave her husband a picture of me before I'd actually crashed and said, you must pray for Jenny. The fact that there's people in this church who were in the hospital. You know, well, the fact that they, they decided to keep me in, the fact that I was in the best possible place to get that immediate care that I needed... Surely that is the hand of God. That is God putting things in place. I had Tina. Tina would come. Every time she was on duty there, she would come. And she'd say, Jenny, you're doing really well. She was like my own personal cheerleader. 
And I remember using that phrase in my preach earlier on in the year, saying, that's what we're meant to be like, supporting each other, encouraging each other, spurring each other on. And Tina, you did that for me in the hospital. You spurred me on. And I really appreciate that. You know? So was it a bug from Jamaica? No idea. There was no conclusive evidence. I got a virus which led to sepsis. And where that virus came from, nobody knows. I have a long list. I could tell you that it's not, (laughs) but I can't tell you what it was. But thank you, each and every one of you. And I'll stop there. Thank you very much, Jenny. It's great to be together as the City of Refuge and be there for each other. Um, one of my f- favourite anecdotes was there was a connection with professionals and Christians as well. So Sheila and Tina work at the hospital and they were linked there. And when I got the call from Sheila saying, you need to get here, um, she said, can I te- check Jenny's date of birth? Because uh, when she saw Jenny in the crash team, she thought, that can't be Jenny. It must be someone else. Maybe there's... Is it really her? So she looked at a date of birth and uh, checked that it really was her and then realized. So obviously it was a real shock. But it was a fantastic relief uh, when Jenny woke up as well. Like she said, a lot of people, they can lose their brains, they can lose limbs, whatever. When Lois went in, um, she's a medical student. She said, oh, yes, she's got sepsis. What's MOF? That's multiple organ failure. She realized things were were bad but Jenny's making a full recovery but when Jenny came round the wonderful thing was it was the same old Jenny one of the first things she said to me oh Lois is is here and and I said yeah she's not got the job she was going to do in the summer and Jenny was oh no she won't have enough money oh (laughs) what a shame and then and Josh has flown back from Norway (gasps) he flew back from Norway why would he do that it's amazing (laughs) She was just concerned for other people. So I thought, physically, she's all right. And the same heart and mind and spirit is there. And God's preserved her. And it's a privilege to be uh, a small part in what God's doing. Our time's gone. But I'd love us to know what it is to be a city of the living God and meet with God and know his presence. I'd love us to continue being a city of refuge. And the last one, I think if we do those things, we will be a city set on a hill that will be a light to others. And we've got the opportunity to share the goodness of God and to pray tonight and on Friday and Saturday uh, and then be back here next week as well. So let's, let's continue to up in and out and let's continue to picture those three cities and be them.